welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet's 2019 Oscar Primer. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And joining us, we have a special good movie buddy, a good friend of the podcast, previous special guests on a few episodes, special guest co-host, special guest good movie buddy, Jeremy Nakano. Jeremy, Thank you for being a part of this. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for. I know, here. I know. I'm. I you. It doesn't hurt that you work right across from me, and I can just be like, Jeremy, let's do a podcast. <laughs> so that's extremely, extremely convenient. But also, I brought you in on this particular podcast to talk about a movie that I know we both enjoy quite a bit. Um, but before we get into that, for those of you who have never listened to the Oscar primers before, these episodes, these sort of a mini series of episodes are designed to bring a bit more of an analytical look at what one may call the, the classy pictures, the prestige movies, the awards contenders that are considered to be big players coming up in the, uh, in the award season, which not even the upcoming award season anymore. We're in the thick of it, uh, leading up ultimately to the 91st annual Academy. Academy Awards on February 24th, 2019. And what's cool is we, you know, obviously a lot of these previous episodes have focused on movies that maybe people haven't heard of before, but I'm very excited about this one because it's gaining more and more momentum. And this episode is focusing on Black Panther. This is actually our third, I think, <laughs> our third Black Panther episode this year. <laughs> Uh, we did the our original episode when the movie came out, and then we did a free refills episode recapping it as we got hyped for Infinity War. And I told David, I said, I didn't think we would need to do a free refills episode. I, he was right. He said we did, and we did. And I said the same thing about this. I said, well, I don't think we'll need to do a recap uh, or Oscar primer on Black Panther he said we did, and ultimately I think he was right. Now, David is not here today because David is out of town, so hence bringing you in, bringing in the big guns. Mm -hmm. But to talk about Black Panther a little bit, um, for if you're one of the few people who did not contribute to its gigantic domestic or, or foreign box office, Black Panther is a Marvel Cinematic Universe film directed by Ryan Coogler. It's only his third film. He directed Fruitvale Station and he directed Creed, two both critically acclaimed films before moving on to this, which made a billion over a billion dollars worldwide. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it's literally one of the best three film starts of a filmmaker maybe ever. Um, it really is up there uh, in terms of like Spielberg did like Jaws, Close Encounters, Sugarland Express, E.T., like those types of movies where it's like, yeah. Are you are you uh, putting him in the Hall of Fame in his first three films? No, I am is not. I am not. No. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard not to get excited about a young director, a young talent to see where he can go. You know, people did it with Shyamalan as well. And obviously that's had... Very high peaks, very deep valleys. So he's the Patrick Mahomes of uh, film directors so far. Is that <laughs> so much potential, right? He's coming in. He's 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 throwing for sixty touchdowns in a season, whatever it is. Um, but Kugler came in and directed this film, and it was adapted obviously from the Black Panther comic book series by Kugler and Joe Robert Cole. And Joe Robert Cole really didn't have a ton of credits before this film. He actually kind of started in the Marvel creative think tank. You know, they kind of do a lot of farm, kind of a farm system type thing where they have a, basically a creative committee 
that's headed by Kevin Feige and they got a bunch of writers and stuff thinking probably, I don't know, but probably thinking about where the next 20 years of Marvel films are going to go. Right. If only I could sneak into that room for just a little bit. I, you know what? I just want to remain ignorant for as long as I can. It's true. It's probably good. You know, I'm, I'm all, oftentimes the only one who feels that way where it's, it's like, I want to know everything for the next 25 <laughs> years. Um, so Kugler is involved. Him and Joe Robert Cole wrote this film. But this, this, I mean, another aspect of this film is the cast is so gigantic. And it's full of people who could be leads in their own films. Oh, easily. absolutely. You got Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. You got Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. You got Lupita Nyong'o, uh, uh, Denai Gurira, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kaluuya, Letitia Wright, Andy Serkis, Winston Duke, Sterling K. Brown, Angela Bassett. Forrest Whitaker? It's madness. It's it's, absolute madness. It's crazy how stacked of a cast this is. Um, And we'll talk about performances later on and and why this, why I think the performances in this film, you know, they help it rise above the the normal Marvel film, which is still pretty great. Oh, yeah. Um, But before we get into that, you know, I want to talk about the storytelling and the plot and why a film like this might be more... Um, attractive, I guess, to the Academy <laughs> than um, an Infinity War or an Ant-Man, right? And I, th- and I think a big part of it is that if you take out all the Marvel stuff, if you take out all the Afrofuturism and all the sci-fi stuff, ultimately this is about a king being challenged and uh, an usurped or unsurped from the throne by outside invaders. Mm-hmm. Very Shakespearean, very dramatic, mm-hmm. and that shit would play really well with the Academy, even if it wasn't Marvel. Well, I think what really helps with the overall uh, aspect of this film in terms of like storytelling, it starts out as a like a black and white film. Forgive that reference, right. but <laughs> starts out as a black and white film, which is very much. King being challenged, and it's like, oh, this is, it's a standard good versus evil look, until it isn't. Right. And it becomes a lot more, just there's so many more questions that come out of the film that as as it goes into Michael B. Jordan's uh, character Mm -hmm. and his, why he wants to do what he wants to do, it becomes Mm -hmm. so much more. Absolutely. So that's why I feel like... It's true Oscar Oscar bait. It's one of the few Marvel films that that dares you to question it before you walk out or as you walk out. Oh, absolutely. You know, Um, and we'll talk. I mean, this movie came out in February. So spoilers ahoy. Um, (laughs) And again, everybody saw this movie. So if you didn't uh, stop what what, number one, how are you listening to this podcast? And you never seen Black Panther before. Number two, go see it immediately. Yeah. But but it is like, you know. It's on Netflix. Tony, you know, <laughs> Iron Man flies the nuke through the wormhole. No, Nobody's walking out of Avengers being like, oh, was Tony Stark right or wrong? Or blah, blah, blah. is this the right way to do? Or maybe, you know, nobody's doing that. But this film, it dares you to ask, is Killmonger right? Right. And that's beautiful. Yep. And uh, you see, like, you get a really nice look at the, uh, like, a lot of wealth disparity and whatnot. Yeah. Um, like early and late in the film. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not necessarily a perfect representation. Sure. But it helps bring a little bit to the surface, which is a good thing. Absolutely. I it, I mean, the, the great part about the argument is 
you know, and this was kind of done in X-Men as well, but it's a very Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King type of argument, you know, um, you know, peace by power or peace by compromise and, and understanding and whatnot. Um, and the same is true here. The same was true of Magneto and Professor X. Like those were the kind of the general sides that they wound up taking. But the beautiful thing about the plotting for this is that, and I mean, ultimately, Beyond the plotting, it goes back to Kugler. It goes back to directing that Kugler is able to take Killmonger and make him one of the at-risk youths in inner city of, of inner city African American communities. He was grown up in Oakland in the 90s. His dad was a revolutionary that was killed when he was eight. His mom is in prison. He's a young black kid on the streets of Oakland in the 90s. He is, for all intents and purposes, fucked. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, I I grew up in Oakland or near Oakland. Sure. And I lived in Oakland for a while, um, and I mean, it's pretty gentrified today. Yeah, today. Um, but at the time, yeah, no, the 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 riots at the time were in insanity. Mm-hmm. So it is very much, uh, as far as like direction is concerned. Sure. I mean, all I can all I can really fall back on is Creed, as far as Coogler's work. Right. Um, in that. And, and for me, it's actually kind of hard to make the connection because on one hand, you have Creed, uh, uh, Adonis Creed, who, sure, he had that rough time. Sure. But then he breezes into this wonderful life for the rest of his life. And sure. He's a, an accountant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or he's an investment manager or something. Yeah. But he's got to fight. Uh, and so, like, I guess... As far as like what he, the real cool things that he brought in, what are some of those prime examples? Because I mean, I might need some help with pointing that. So out. to me, to me, Kugler is always about showing the play. One of my favorite things about Kugler is he's a kid from Oakland. Okay. So when you see him, um, and he like he's done a couple. I mean, you look up in his interviews in on YouTube. He does. There's a fantastic breaking down of the scene that he does. The scene in the. Um, south korean uh uh casino and he is just doing pointing out different things and stuff and the coolest thing is he talks like a kid from oakland he sounds like a kid from the street but he has such an acute cinematic mind in the color choices that are made and in his camera directions and things like that so to see a kid who was raised in oakland who was listening to nwa who was who was part of grew up as you know watching riots out in the streets and shit like that grew up in a community that's been flooded with drugs kind of as they say in the film to see him rise up above all of that to become one of the most exciting young filmmakers but always bring it back to that always bring it back to how um black people and you know can be affected by things that are outside of their means, it's what make kill what makes Killmonger such a tragic character, in that if he would have had all of the opportunities that T'Challa has, he might have turned out completely different, you know. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Fruitvale Station. Fruitvale Station is all about, um, you know, is based on that true story of that man who was killed by the the Bart authority and stuff, and it follows him in his day and how this tragic thing happened to this guy who was just living the hardest life and doing the best that he could with it. And you saw that at the beginning of Creed and you saw that and you see how they, his characters carry that with them, you know, and how that builds just that righteous fury of Killmonger in this film and how it makes it so much more than just, I'm an outsider trying to take the throne. 
You know, okay. he, he's an outsider who, yeah, he wants to take the throne, but he has no plans to destroy Wakanda. Mm -hmm. He has no plans to do anything other than help all of the black people in the world by rising up against their oppressors, which again goes back to the question of, you know, Who's right? Is Killmonger right? Obviously, Killmonger's not right. Killing, <laughs> killing millions and millions of people is never the correct answer. No. But that's what Kugler brings to us. He brings that deeper, you know, question in it. And if nothing else, and listen, you know, I'm white. You're basically white. For the most part. <laughs> like, so for us to talk <laughs> about how a black director can bring blackness into a film, like, listen, we, you know, we got to recognize that it's a little ridiculous, but one of the things that Kugler brings to Black Panther is an inherent blackness. Yeah. That is, I mean, look all the money it made. <laughs> uh, I will say this for anyone who has never been to Oakland or anything of the sort. Oakland is a beautiful city filled with a beautiful people. Uh, just don't go walking around with your phone out in West Oakland. That's it. That's it. Just avoid doing that and you'll be just fine. Yeah, I I, I imagine he would probably tell you the same thing. Um, and again, going back to Coogler's previous movies, one of the things that he does really well is he casts or at least he puts together a team of people to cast um, all-time talent to be a part of his film. You know, you look at Creed and you look at grabbing Michael B. Jordan, who he worked with all the way back at Fruitvale Station, grabbing Tessa Thompson at the time, um, bringing in um, really, really great actors. And the same is true here. There are a lot of people who he – some of them were handed to him, like Chadwick Boseman, like Andy Serkis, like Martin Freeman. Um, but he filled the rest of the cast with a bunch of heat check performances, you know, like he pulled in Daniel Kaluuya. And Daniel Kaluuya got nominated for an Oscar literally a month later. Nice. You know? He's pulling in Lupita, who's an Oscar winner. He's pulling in uh, Denai Guerrero from The Walking Dead, who's literally now, like, the second lead on the one of the biggest shows on television. Um, he's pulling in Letitia Wright, who's only, like, 19. Letitia Wright. Yeah. Killed that role. Crushes it. Oh, my God. That young, bratty, like, smart but loving little sister. Yes. Winston Duke. This is like Winston Duke's like second film, okay. you know? <laughs> um, and he's fantastic as Mbaku. Like he's one of the most memorable parts of this film. He was so fun. But above everything else, you got Chadwick Boseman and you got Michael B. Jordan. You Michael know? B. Jordan. And I, I mean, you, you pump, pump the brakes if you need to, but I would venture to say that Michael B. Jordan and Killmonger is right up there with Heath Ledger's Joker as like an all-time comic book villain performance. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the only times where you ask yourself, you know, is everything okay and healthy in this world? Right. In the way that everyone does things. And just everything he does, the way he carried himself, uh, his preparation for the role, if you mm -hmm. ever did any research on that, was astonishing. People were like afraid to come near him because he just got real mean for a few months mm -hmm. leading up to the movie. Um, and everything he does, he, he does, he plays a villain who you can agree with. And that's the scariest kind of villain, the in best. my opinion. The, my favorite villains are the ones who don't feel that they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. The ones who believe truly in their hearts that they are in the right. And Killmonger fits that to a T. Absolutely. You know? And he is still, you know, he is still fueled by that righteous fury. And not to take anything away from Bozeman as Black Panther, you know, because he's great at it. But but he has the thankless role. He's got to play the straight man, essentially. You know, the, the noble king. 
They're uh, really, I, I, in my opinion, there just wasn't a lot to flex out there. Not really. It's like okay, you're the you're the lead of the story, and it's cool. I'm the king. Yeah. I know I need to stop. There's no arc. No. There's no. His biggest arc is. Um, keeping Wakanda blocked off from people versus opening it up. Right. But him as a person doesn't change all that much. No. You know? No. Um, that being said, these movies are often told over multiple films. So, you know, odds are you have a wider arc. But Eric B. Uh, Eric B. Jordan, Eric Killmonger, <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, again, just comes in and steals this movie. He's, he's on a different level than everybody else. And it's almost distracting because I've heard of some people saying how much they don't like his performance in the film. And I think that's because almost more so than any of the other performances, his is very modern. He's a kid from Oakland. So while you have Chadwick and these people talking in, in their African dialects and whatnot, he's coming in and is all like, nah, you just burn that shit. Like, yeah, yeah, that's actually really interesting because everybody, it feels like you're in this big fantasy world in Wakanda. Right. And then Michael B. Jordan shows up and he's just like, I'm going to fuck this shit up. I'm a badass. I'm born. I'm Oakland raised. Yeah. And he's he's awesome in it. He's phenomenal in it. Uh, And I mean, again, we haven't even talked about Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker. Like this is a who's who of talent right now who every single person in this movie has the potential to be like a superstar. Oh, absolutely. And they all just absolutely knock it out of the park. Um, so the performances certainly help this rise above, you know, not to say that the performances in MCU films aren't good, but I mean, you're not getting a stacked cast quite like this. Like this is 15 people down and you're still looking at Oscar nominees, you know, potential Oscar nominees. Like you got to get all the way past Andy Serkis who's like the 13th guy before you start getting into people who you kind of don't really know that well. Also, can we pour one out for Andy Serkis's character? In pour that? pour Be- one out for Claw. Because he was great. He was fantastic. Oh my goodness. He got to play it so weird where... <laughs> Remember that uh, when Freeman asked him, was like, what are you putting out a mixtape? And he's like, actually, yeah. Yeah, I do have a mixtape. Can we get him the SoundCloud link to the mixtape? Like... There's little things that he does like that where uh, it just makes him so interesting. He was like the super fun cartoony villain yeah. of this whole thing. Right. Um, and then he dies. And yeah. you're like, no! <laughs> and it's okay. Well, this shit's going to get real. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, everyone in this film is just throwing 100 miles an hour. Everybody's doing great. But, but Michael B. Jordan's clearly rising above everybody else oh. in that regard. Um, oh, yeah. I think one of the reasons now, Jeremy, you and I differ on our opinion of how much this is going to impact the Academy. I think that this film is hitting at a perfect time because it is hitting at a moment where the Oscars are still trying their damnedest to not be so white. Number one. Fair. Number two, there is more and more conversation, as we saw previously with them announcing that most popular film category and it being pretty much universally shat on. There is this large conversation happening about what films do and do not deserve to be recognized by the Academy. As you know, this is the cross in which I decide to bear in my life that I feel like films like this and A Quiet Place, Mission Impossible, Fallout, that they deserve their spot next to your tiny little character-driven indies or your big you know, historical epics. So we're hitting everything, right? Yeah. You got a Disney-backed Marvel film that is a cultural phenomenon. Right. This is the film that's uh, we'll talk about how much money it made in a second. But this is the film that 
again, for people not like you and me, but for young black boys and girls throughout the world, they're getting a $200 million superhero movie filled with everyone who looks like them. And I feel like anybody who discounts that, and I don't throw this word out a lot, but they need to check their privilege a little bit. Oh, absolutely. You know? It, it, it's like um, the last time I was on for Crazy Rich Asians. Seeing a, seeing sure. a group of Asians in a movie, that's awesome to me. Right. Um, granted, I am mostly white. <laughs> no, but, that's but still okay. lean into it, But you it's know? just one of those things where it's, it is relevant. Absolutely. And it might not be relevant for you, but part of the the difficulty of it part of the trick is recognizing its relevance for other people yeah you know um and so i think it's hitting just enough of those sweet spots at just the right time to be recognized in a big bad way by the academy um a big part of that is you know the conversation that it has about race relations in the film it's not just a black superhero movie we had that shit with blade all due respect to wesley snipes and blade all due respect to Shaq and Sh- and 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 Steel. Maybe not as much respect to Shaq and Steel. No. Um, but this movie. is by no means the first black superhero movie, but it is certainly the best. Oh, by far. Um, and it certainly deals with actual, you know, issues of of race relations and class, you know, class discrepancies, disparity, uh, and stuff like that. That I feel that it talks enough about real shit for the Academy to care. Oh, absolutely. And it's not a perfect film in the way it addresses issues by any measure. No. Um, and that's okay because we can't just go like the lie, the world as it stands now can't just go like 180. Okay, we're going to fix everything the way it is. But right. the more people get used to what Black Panther is suggesting as how to kind of fix the problems, which overall is oversimplified solutions. Sure. Um, we can start taking steps. Right. And that helps reinforce why this is such a relevant film. Yeah, like there isn't a secret African nation that is hyper-technologically advanced. Like, no. Sorry, guys, it's not going to do that. But films like this help, like you said, help nudge that conversation forward. Yeah. You know? Um so a, a bit now a, a big factor of its relevance is just how much money it made. And the thing with Oscar films that often frustrate me, and one of the reasons that we started doing this particular podcast miniseries is the nominees come out and I'll talk to my friends and family and they'll be like, I don't know eight of those nine movies. And so that was one of the big reasons I wanted to do this so we could talk about these movies, why they matter, why the Academy is focusing on them. You know, hopefully we don't have to do this here but we do like to also highlight the box office footprint that these films had. And, and they're big and small. We just did Beautiful Boy that made like five, $3 million or, or $8 million, or No, it made like eight. Okay. All right. It cost 25 but it made eight. Yikes. Um, and then you look at like A Star is Born. That movie makes 140 This movie. <laughs> this movie. This movie made worldwide. Worldwide. $1.34 Billion dollars. Billion dollars. Now, just in the United States alone, uh, which this isn't always the case. Right. Over half of that money was made just in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Usually the largest chunk for most films I see is China. Is China or it's just worldwide. Or Usually the, 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 the split is like 60-40, 65-35 worldwide versus domestic. Right. That's typically what's seen. Um this is only the third movie of all time to crack 700 million domestic. 
It's insanity. Hats out to Disney um, because I know you like this. I certainly like this. It was at six ninety eight. And then they're like, we're going to keep it in theaters for like another two weeks <laughs> just to hit 700. And then they pulled it. That's brilliant. I love it so much. That's exactly the kind of shit I would do. So I want to hit 700. The other two movies, Star Wars The Force Awakens and Avatar. All right. Like Star Wars. <laughs> another Disney film. <laughs> Avatar. And then Black Panther. That's pretty incredible. That's if amazing. You think about it. Especially when you think about like Star Wars had J.J. Abrams and the Star Wars brand. Avatar had James Cameron and his whatever deal to whatever devil he made. Um, <laughs> and Black Panther, granted, was Marvel and Marvel had built an empire, but it's Coogler yeah. coming out and making this movie that responds with people. Um, now, granted, uh, Avengers Infinity War made more worldwide, but this film made more domestically by, I think, I think like $60 million. I think uh, Infinity War ended up hitting 640 or something like that. That's not insignificant. That is a big enough movie that the Academy, I feel, cannot ignore when you list out all of those things, you know, mm -hmm. that the Academy can't ignore it. Um, but beyond just that, though, the last thing that I want to talk about before we get into kind of, you know, listen off what we think it'll be nominated for is the general look and feel of the film. Because we've talked about the direction, we've talked about the performances, the impact that it has, but it's also about building the universe. How does this movie make you feel? How does this movie make you look? Uh, or how does this movie look? How does this movie make you feel? And a big part of it is the crew that Kugler puts together. So, you know, you take, for example, gosh, the cinematography, okay? Uh, Rachel Morrison is the director of photography in this film. Rachel Morrison did the did the cinematography for Mudbound last okay. year and was the first female cinematographer ever nominated for an Oscar. Like, let's... let's Wait, it took this long? It took that long, dude. <laughs> oh, no. I could, listen, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident that that is correct. I'm fairly confident that... Um, yeah, first woman ever recognized in that category for Mudbound. Isn't that crazy? That's some actual bullshit. So we get the first woman ever nominated for an Oscar for cinematography doing the cinematography on this film, a film that is vibrant, that is colorful, that is gorgeous. That's going to mean something. Yeah. That's going to mean something. You get the production design. This is the type of film that I feel like if the Academy can just pull the stick slightly more out of their ass, <laughs> you, you get stuff like the production design, which is that perfect blend of, of African tradition and technology. Afrofuturism is the actual term for that kind of thing where you have okay. the traditional garb and the, the facial um, – gosh, I don't know what the word is, but the facial features, you know, like the hoops oh, and yeah. stuff and the lower lips and whatnot. I'm yeah. butchering that. piercings and – Piercings yeah. and scars and whatnot, ritualistic scarring and whatnot. You have all that. And then you have to create science fiction technology that looks like it is built from that culture. Oh, and so you have the beads and you have the ways that the uh, the shields of the like, uh -huh. of those the towels basically yeah. that yeah. are just like this is amazing. Yeah, like they throw the towels open, they have shields all right there, and that production design um, by Hannah Beachler, I think, is is a big part of what makes this film work. And then the same thing with the costumes, the hairstyling and makeup. All of it is put together to make this type of film that, yes, it's a comic book film, but it's just enough of a fantasy. It's just enough of a sci-fi 
to get the attention of those wings of the Academy. Because you remember, nominations are put together by the specific wings. So cinematographers only vote for cinematography nominations. Okay. And then everybody votes for the winner, right? Right. So directors choose the director noms. Production designers choose the production designer noms and things okay. like that. So I feel like this film, you know, really steps up in ways that other Marvel films just maybe other than Thor don't. Like Thor, you're dealing with Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy. You're dealing with full-blown sci-fi stuff. But you look at Captain America, you look at Iron Man, you look at Ant-Man. Those are modern action movies. Correct. It's no big deal to get put a leather jacket on Captain America. Not the hardest thing to figure out. But you look at Guardians, you look at Thor, you look at entire fake civilizations and clothing and characters that have to Thor's be created. Thor's development was very solid. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say that Guardians is really incredible. Guardians it's, got some nominations, it's though. It's just some flashes. Like, you just see a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, it's true. I mean, Thor, Thor and... I mean, Thor and Black Panther overall, because they had to flesh out an entire civilization. Right. Because when you have to build a civilization, and I have experience in doing this kind of crap. Right. Because I play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's where it actually gets hard. It's mm-hmm. one thing to build a ship and put specific like features on it, but mm-hmm. it's another to flesh out a, a costume, what somebody wears and how it works. A society. Why. An actual society. Yeah. Which you got with Asgardians, and you got with all of the different realms, and you didn't really get with Guardians, even though you got the Ravagers and the crazy makeup that they had and whatnot. Yeah. But like the Nova Corps, those are mostly just humans. Mostly. You know? So so I think that there are a lot of things that add up to a lot of potential nominations. So that's how we wrap this up is is Number one, I like to we like to list off the the nominations we think it's going to get, and then ultimately we put it at an over or under, right? So I think it's going to get nominated for a shitload. I actually think it could wind up doing like what Mad Max did, which is being nominated for the most Oscars, simply because I think it's going to get a ton of below the line nominations, and I also think it's going to get a handful above the of the above line nominations as well. Okay. So just to list them off, I think. It is definitely getting nominated for Best Picture. Like, I would, and I know you don't, I know you don't agree. I think it's a shoe in I think it is guaranteed to get in. Okay, all right. I'd love to hear why not. All right, so here's the why not. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a good film, and from, like, a cultural standpoint right now, it is going to come in, and, you know, it, it is relevant. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. it The story itself ain't, ain't that great. Okay. As far as I'm concerned. Sure. Like, it's a fun movie. It's a great movie. But sure. But from a story perspective, the depth just isn't there. Oh. And that largely lies with Chadwick Boseman's character. Okay. Um, and the beauty of the story lies in the villain. And so sure. I think from on those merits alone, it doesn't deserve best picture. Okay. Um, maybe most woke picture. Uh, <laughs> but maybe not best picture. I think it's definitely going to get in. I think that the Academy doesn't always nominate the most deserving ones. I mean, look at our some of our previous nominations. Avatar got nominated. Lest we forget. Uh, all right. You know? All right. So okay, it's gonna, now, it's, it'll ti- be I mean, look at Titanic. <laughs> you know, Titanic is a really interesting example because a, a film can get nominated for Best Picture, but it might not get nominated for Best Screenplay. Avatar is an example of the sum of its parts. In, 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 in relation to the sum of its parts, I don't see a conceivable way that Black Panther doesn't get nominated. Now, 
when we start breaking down those individual parts is when we see possible weaknesses. Do I think Kugler is a contender? I do. So much so that I have it on the list. But he's just got so many people working against him. Like, he's just got so many. Alfonso Cuaron. He's got Yorgos from The Favorite. He's got a ton of people he's got to fight through to get a nomination. I feel like if he's going to get a nomination for directing, um, it would only if it would only be if they're taking into account his resume. Should have been for Creed. Right. Hindsight Creed should have gotten a lot Hindsight more nominations. Hindsight Creed, yeah. And they're just realizing it now. Yeah, yeah um, they are. But if they took in it took into account his resume and mm-hmm. see that he's only got these what four films under his belt. Sure. Um three films, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh these three films under his belt and look at what he's done with those three films. Right. That is a momentum. That there. would be like, oh, okay, best director for sure, because sure. you did this with almost no experience. Sure. And you look at guys like Damien Chazelle, one best director with his second film. Right. You know, you look at guys um like God. I mean, the other guy is Yorgos, and I can only remember his first name because his last name is just uh, <laughs> just a tire fire for me to try and pronounce without it put it right in front of me. But he's only on his third movie as well. Okay. Um, so that's why I see potential there for Ryan Coogler. Best Adapted Screenplay. The Glass Ceiling was broke last year when Logan got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Okay. Going back to this not being, you know, I, you know the, the strongest main character – I still think when we go back to that, uh, you know, the overthrowing the king type stuff. Right. I think the academy could be suckers for it. I, I don't know. know. Uh, best, I can't say it's it's gonna go just for most of the reasons of, in terms of my uh, counter as best picture. Some of these are long shots, but I'm just throwing these out here as potential. So I got picture, director, screenplay. Michael B. Jordan. For Michael best B. Vision. Jordan. If he does not get a nomination for best supporting actor, it, this whole world is that a is actually a wide open um, field. I feel like I feel like there's really only seven or eight people who could get in right now, um, and I, he's on the list. So it's going to be real interesting. But I think if anybody from this cast pulls a nomination, it's him. A sly on the list. Will we make it? For this year? No, Creed 2 ain't going to get nothing, (laughs) sadly. Don't get me started. Start a whole new podcast. Um, And then going back to some of the stuff that I talked about, I think it is absolutely in the mix for things like production design, cinematography. I think when you talk about costume design and makeup and hairstyling, it's got to go up against films like The Favorite. Okay. Oscars, uh, the Academy love their period films. A lot of times they'll just be some random ass period film gets costume nomination because that's it. Like it's all they got. I'm in firm belief that it can take best cinematography for sure. Absolutely. Um, as far as best, I, I honestly feel best makeup and hairstyling is, uh, is one of its top content contenders as well, because sure. it's number one, it's the blend that we talked about mm-hmm. where it it's both historical and current and they did a phenomenal job blending the two. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't get the nod, that's insane. Right. When they had to put all those scars on Michael B. Jordan for which like, was crazy. Which was crazy. Um and then you get into some of the more technical stuff like best score. You and I were talking about this earlier. I love the score for this film. I love the themes for the film, particularly I love the final Every time a soundtrack has like an end credit suite, yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> and this one has a great end credit suite. Yeah, as an overall soundtrack, not. The... I think it's a lot like other Marvel soundtracks. It is. You're it's right. It's got good themes, but as an overall soundtrack, it's kind of weak. Yeah. Um, what but stands I love out is Ludwig. the drum. It's just a lot of African drum in it, which is 
cool. <laughs> That's true. It is cool. <laughs> now, we also have another thing to consider is the soundtrack by Kendrick Lamar. And I feel like, and again, we're only talking nominations here. But I feel like you look at that soundtrack and I feel like it's got to get at least one original song out of it. Get Kendrick Lamar up there. We get to young it down a little bit. All the stars, you know, pray for me. There's, yeah. there's options there. It is ultimately going to have, have to go up against the, the double whammy steamroller of A Star is Born and Mary Poppins Returns. Good luck. So it doesn't have a shot at winning. <laughs> no. But getting a nomination out Big of deal. one out of five songs, I think it could do that. Yeah. I think this is the type of film that definitely gets sound mixing, sound editing. And if it doesn't get visual effects, I'd actually be really surprised. I would be shocked if it doesn't get best visual effects. So I have it. As, after all that being said, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13 nominations, which is the same number of nominations that uh, I think Titanic got. Wow. Is that right? Oh, boy. I, on the other hand, am very shrewd. I have one, two, three, four? I think four. Ooh. Uh, yeah, four. I have four of the lists that you went through that I firmly believe that it'll get nominated for. Okay. Okay. So... I was wrong. Titanic was nominated for 14. Okay. Lord of the Rings Return of the King was nominated for 11 and won 11. Which, don't get me started on that. <laughs> That's um, ridiculous. That that was... That was... Oh, yeah, we can't even get Let's into it. Let's not get it. into that That subject. was a, like a Lifetime Achievement Award for everybody on that trilogy. Maybe. Like, that was awarding the trilogy all of those things. Yeah, but... Uh. I know. That's another podcast for another time. <laughs> so you have it at... What'd you say? Four? I have four. Okay. Okay. Well, Best I'm gonna supporting have to... actor, because uh -huh. Michael B. Jordan. Uh-huh. Best cinematography, because the film is just fucking Gorgeous. beautiful. Yeah. Best makeup, hair, and styling because of reasons I've already stated. Okay. And then the best visual effects. I think those four make up what that movie did so incredibly well. Man. Okay. All right. I think so, I'm just a Michael B. Jordan fan. I'm going to – well, I mean, likewise. Yeah. This is, this is a good friend of the podcast, good movie buddy, Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> always welcome here. And that conversation is always welcome to be had. So obviously I know your answer to this, but I'm going to put the over-under at nominations at eight. Eight? Nominations, not wins, not even ones that you think it deserves. Take into context all of the stuff that we've talked about. What's your over-under? Are you going over or under eight nominations? I'm going to stick to my guns, under eight. All right, all right. I respect that. I'm 1,000% going over. <laughs> but I definitely respect you sticking to your guns. So, yeah, I was super excited. Um, the Oscar nominations still aren't going to come out till January. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm stoked to see what happens. I'm stoked to see, hopefully, that if Black Panther will continue gaining momentum here. Look, if I'm wrong, I'm happy. Sure. I'll just leave happy it at that. Happy to be wrong. Yep. I, on the other hand, would not. I'm not going to be very happy when I'm wrong if I'm wrong because <laughs> uh, I love this movie. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's I think pretty much it, Jeremy. So again, thank you for uh, for being a, a guest on this podcast here. As You're welcome. Always. Thank you. I love being here. We always appreciate it. Um, for everyone else listening, remember, remember, don't forget. As always, you can get this podcast delivered to you for free. 
just by hitting that subscribe button. Give us a like. Give us five stars. Write a review. Share us with your friends. Share us with your family. Help us build that good movie buddy community. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're putting out all types of information about the Oscars as they come out. You can follow us on all those sites at The Popcorn Diet. And then last but certainly not least, all of our latest reviews, all of our Oscar predictions, all of our episodes, including our Oscar primers, our free refills, and our Oscar predictions episodes can be found on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for our special guest good movie buddy, Jeremy Nakano, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another episode of the Popcorn Diet's Oscar Primer 2019 with another hopeful Oscar nominee. Adios. Take care, guys.